Hi, this is Maximilian Osinski, and you're listening to Talking Lasso. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Honey, is that an ingredient or is that something you just call me right now? Ingredient. Shoot, I was kind of hoping it was the other one. How worried are you about the threat of relegation? Well, Lloyd, right now I'm mostly concerned with the definition of relegation. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> I'm free. One, two, three. Yo. How you doing, Josh? Doing well, Joey. How are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. I was just thinking when that intro music was playing, every single time it says, honey, is that an ingredient or what you're going to call me? Is this an ingredient? And you go, shoot, kind of wish it was the other one. Every time it makes me laugh. It's such a good line. I think it went so under the radar. It's it's one of those jokes that uh, for this podcast, especially every now and then, I'm like, I need to I need to figure out a, a pet name for Joey. And then I just <laughs> in the, the 10 to 15 seconds we have after that line, I, I'm just panicking. I'm like, nope, just going to skip it. You could you could just call me Snuggums like you do off of recording. <laughs> <laughs> but then people know. Then people know. Oh, I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> I won't cut that out. Um, no, don't. So, Josh, we should ever the professionals. We are. It is ingrained in my memory now to ask you: Can you provide us with a spoiler warning, please? I sure can. Uh, this episode of Talking Lasso contains spoilers for Ted Lasso seasons one and two, but most importantly, Ted Lasso season three and episode ten, Mom City. But before we dive into this week's episode, Joey, it has finally happened. <gasps> What's happened? It came. It came in all caps. <laughs> And we got a fan slash listener email. Well, hey, it was something something was slid to you across your desk is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ricky doesn't watch uh, shows that that closely. Uh, uh, she's astonished at the things that I can recall where she's like, I thought it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but what about this line in this at like the 22 minute mark? And she's like, you're I weird. Feel, I feel a bit like that sometimes. I normally just go <laughs> off of your energy. I, uh that's why none of our scores have been anything lower than like a seven. <laughs> so we got an email from Nick Arlt, uh, who is our new best fan. Um, he writes, when reviewing episode 10, did I say episode 10 in the spoiler warning? It should be episode 11, Mom City. So yeah, I think I said episode 10. So Nick's, Nick's Nick, putting all the way here. Inadvertently pulling another correction here. <laughs> uh, episode 11 spoiler warnings as well, Mom City. Uh, when reviewing Nick writes, when reviewing episode 10, you were saying Rupert wasn't the owner of West Ham, but I'm sure he is. Your reference was to Beck's buying the team from the Milk Sisters. That was Richmond. I'm assuming Rupert couldn't own the team because of the divorce rules at Rebecca's father's funeral. Rupert gives those shares to Rebecca, quote unquote, kind of like a funeral present. Immediately after that, he's seen going directly to Nate to whisper something into his ear, likely be, uh, something about becoming... Uh, coach for West Ham since Rupert's buying West Ham. Uh, further at the end of last season, there was a newspaper article that Rebecca reads stating Rupert is buying West Ham. Enjoy the pod. Looking forward to the last couple episodes. Then he has a follow-up question. But as I was reading this, it immediately came back to me that yes, that is exactly what happened in a way to, again, kind of mind fuck Rebecca. Rupert bought the milk sisters shares of Richmond and that's when Ted did the whole white knighting thing, because that's how Ted was able to wager Rupert just not showing up versus Rupert making the lineup for the rest of the season. Yeah. And it, like that all just came flooding back to me. And uh, yeah, Nick, you are absolutely right. Well done. Nick. And then he has a follow up question here. Statement. Have they definitively said this is the last season? They said the plan was three seasons, but haven't seen any of the creators definitively state before or during the season that this is it. Did I miss it? Nick, you have not missed it. Um, I'm just going off that same assumption. Uh, there's an uh, a really good interview I think Brett Goldstein did with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, where uh, they're talking about how there's like this big emotional goodbye when they filmed the last scene, and Jimmy Kimmel makes a joke about how like if they have to come back, they they went through this whole emotional rigam rigmarole, and now they're just like, oh hey, um, thought I'd never see you again. <laughs> um. Do you know what uh, Brett Goldstein's reaction to that was? Because I've not seen this interview. Uh, well, yeah, that Brett Goldstein was the one who shared like the whole uh, like we had this big emotional goodbye, and then Jimmy Kimmel made the joke. Um, hmm. Maybe maybe next week I'll pull the the sound clip and uh, I'll play it. 
But um, for the there's, most part, there's, it, there's a section in this episode that I never wanted to believe it, but I do do kind of think that we are tying up a, a knot here at the end of this next next week's episode. Uh, we're, but we'll, we're we'll come on to that. Yeah, we're definitely treading into like Scrubs season eight territory where it's a very definitive ending, mm. but they might try to screw something up and scrub yeah. season nine it. We'll have a Ted Lasso series four where we've never heard of any of the staff or players <laughs> and it won't be funny or heartfelt in any way. Yep, but it'll still be called Ted Lasso. <laughs> um, okay, Josh, let's talk about the episode. We're going to follow our usual um, way of walking through it we're going to break it up into the, the we decided four main storylines i think one of them calling it a main storyline is quite generous but um let's start with jamie roy and keely what is going on here what is going on here <laughs> that is roy's question uh there's some of the best face acting brett goldstein has done as roy kent in mm. this storyline um Jamie's having this really weird press conference, uh, which it seems like Roy has taken over the press conference duties. Uh, yeah. He's having a joint press conference with uh, Sam, Jamie and Roy. And uh, Jamie's been named player of the month yeah, uh, because he's leading the league in assists for the month. He also scored a goal. And at that point, he starts having this really weird freak out where he's like, that was meant to be a pass. Um I, it shouldn't be counted. It's a fraudulent goal. He was asked by, and I'm really enjoying, um, I think his name is Marcus Adebayo, the new independent journalist. Yes, the new um, Trent. Yeah, so so Roy goes, asks for the question from him, he goes, oh, you better Trent. So he's uh, he's asking for the question from better Trent, and he says, how does it make you feel? And he says, well, uh, it's just the team making me look good, really, and the goal shouldn't have been a goal, it should have been a pass, so I'm actually making the team look bad by doing it, so it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel bad, really. And then people are trying to back <laughs> yes. him up, but Jamie, Jamie's not himself. Um, Jamie seems quite lost all throughout the start of this, to the point where they're in the locker room, and Van Damme, who's, who you remember had his nose broken on international duty, has to wear a protective mask. Um, and they ask Jamie what he thinks, and he goes, I think being safe is better than being cool, better than looking cool. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Um, that's, that cues Roy to take Jamie into the uh, the kit room, which yeah. I love. There's there's a little touch in this one that I love where he opens the door and he inspects the room. He's like, Will's not here. <laughs> yeah, but they do. They do rectify that at the end of this. So Jamie breaks down um, and just cries on Roy. Um, and this is where the, the amazing face performance happens because he's like trying to be hard with him. He's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? What's going on with you? And then Jamie just breaks down and he's just like, oh, my God, what is happening right now? Well, he, he describes himself as like the Red Bull advert man, but he doesn't have his wings. I don't know if you have that advert over there. There's loads of these awful hand-drawn Red Bull adverts where he drinks We've, the can and you've got them. yeah. Yeah, they're, that one's old, an older one over yeah, here. I don't they're know really how old. Yeah, that one's probably close to 10 years old at this point. I would say probably a bit more than that. But Jamie says that he's he feels like the Red Bull man, and he's like, where are my wings? Where are my wings? And then he ends up hugging Roy, and Will walks in behind him, and Roy just goes, you missed a good one, Will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you see Will just kind of just do a big grunt in frustration, like, damn it. <laughs> I do have to say... And and I was going to bring this up, but towards the end of this story, but I think it's quite um, a good place to say it. I was surprised how they handled what was obviously quite a, a, a difficult mental moment for Jamie, considering how they've handled other people's anxiety, um, mental health. And when it was Jamie, I think the stuff he was saying, there's a point where so we, we'll get onto it, but there's a point where he he says that he feels like he's impotent, but in his soul. And I thought that that was quite a descriptive way of describing feeling lost and anxious and mm -hmm. depressed. But this whole story was treated a bit more like a joke compared to everyone else's. And and I guess it's because they've already done the mental health um, anxiety story in Ted Lasso. They've probably done it to death. But it just caught me off guard that, that for everyone else, it was handled very seriously and very much like we will help this person. Whereas for Jamie, it was like, uh, oh, you know, it's Jamie. Ha ha ha, we'll get over it. And 
he'll do a big funny cry and um then he'll he'll sort himself out i was it just just took me back a little bit yeah when he was describing it the way he was i was genuinely concerned about him as a character and as a person yeah and uh it it de- it definitely did play off a little differently but um i ted kind of talks him through it but it something like that isn't and shouldn't be a one and done kind of ordeal especially with a line like that where yeah. like he feels like something is missing in his soul yeah i just um i i don't think the story itself was done particularly badly but it just it maybe rubbed me up the wrong way a bit that they they treated a a mental health episode um for jamie so flippantly really yeah i thought they were going to go more with like a yips kind of thing um but overall it it turned into something deeper which i think for the context of the episode was really good Mm. but that that line kind of adds a layer to it that maybe the writers didn't intend. Mm, maybe. Well, maybe, or maybe Bill Dunster performed it so well as Jamie, that it, it came off far more serious than it was meant to. Yeah. Um, I heard the Emmy already arrived at his, his house. Like it, it's just there. <laughs> if it hasn't, then it'll be bloody on its way. It's uh he's just been the highlight of this show i think he's absolutely stolen you could change the name of the show to jamie tart at this point but yeah so so uh, after this episode with roy um the next time we see the um the team and jamie is they're on their way up to manchester they're on their way to play manchester city uh and um through you know things that happen that we'll talk about in the team story um jamie ends up walking away and just walking the streets of Manchester. Keely and Roy are following him and they end up going to his mum's house. And it's like a big reveal that he's gone, gone back home to his roots and to where his mum is. Um, what did you think of Jamie and his mum? Oh, that was such a weird but <laughs> amazing storyline. Mm. Like it it explains so much of the character because they have this really weird, like pseudo incestuous relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like Um, it's, it's almost an Oedipus complex, but he's not like attracted to his mom. I did like the Roy thing (laughs) where Roy seems to be genuinely attracted to his mom. Cause like when they, they introduce them, uh, Jamie's like, this is Keila and Roy Kent and Roy goes, Hey you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, a bit very... as well where they where they leave. I think he's beyond attracted to it. He he goes, how about one for the road? And goes to give her another <laughs> hug. And Keely drags him away, and he's he doesn't know what to say. And he's just, uh, uh, I love you, <laughs> <laughs> which is really good. But when they got there, the guy who plays Jamie's stepdad, Simon, I don't know the actor's real name. I should I should know that. Um, he greets them and it's not explained who he is at first. He's not explained that he's his mum's house. I thought it was probably a brother. I thought he was cast very young. Um, and I don't know whether it's just me being, well, us being dads and me see, still seeing myself as a, a whippersnapper. But I just thought it was he was cast quite young to be Jamie's very long-term stepdad. Yeah, um I, I when he opened the door, I almost immediately was, felt like that had to be stepdad material because oh, really? he's very anti Jamie's dad. Yeah, he's yeah, the, fair the other side of the coin. He's much more um, <clears throat> uh, like homely. He he cooks, he bakes. He uh, Steve Steve Edge is the guy who plays Simon. Steve Edge, yeah, I liked Steve Edge. I think he did very well. What was uh, sorry before you click off of where you are now? Uh, who played Jamie's mom? Leanne Best. Georgie. Yep, Leanne Best. Leanne Best. Yeah, I thought they were both really good characters, and they both came off really warm and and like you said, there was a bit of a weird semi incestuous nature between Jamie and his mum, and and that didn't really click for me until she commented something and said, "My sexy little baby boy," and I was like, Ugh. "It was just a bit made my skin crawl." But the whole point in having his mum there was to Jamie's coming to terms with who his dad is and the the thing that he's missing in himself is he says that he did everything that he did on the pitch as a big fuck you to his dad um but now that he's doesn't care anymore what is he doing it for why what what is his motivation to play well um and i think the the speech between jamie's mum and jamie was was really lovely until she called him 
sexy little baby boy, which made me <laughs> gag a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would not blame you there. Well, she she says, go out there, prove them wrong and be the best that you can be. Show them that they're wrong to to hate you, basically, because he's, he's back at his hometown club in Manchester for the first time. Yeah, since leaving for the reality show. Um, and uh, yeah, that's one thing we we kind of glossed over is that apparently Roy and Keeley are not back together. Yes. Um, they they hooked up and we had this great moment between Roy and Rebecca where Roy's like, I did it. And Rebecca's like, good for you. And Keeley's like, hold on a second. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's put the brakes on this. One um, step forward, three steps back for what did we, what did we dub them? Uh, Royley. 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 Well, we, we, we don't know that for sure because there's a bit where Jamie and his strange sex uh, thing with his mom is going on where um, there's a great joke where, where Simon's showing Roy and Keeley around the house and they go to Jamie's room and there's a picture of a poster of Roy Kent on the wall and he's like, fuck it now. And then they shut the door and there's a poster of Keeley uh, topless with footballs covering her up next to it. And they're sat on the bed and they have a bit of a heart to heart. And, and Roy says, I don't want to be friends. Um, I want to be more than friends. And just as, as Keeley goes to say what she's going to say, Jamie comes in and is like, right, it's time to go. We've got to get back before curfew. So I, I genuinely don't know which way this is going to go. It, I think the signs are pointing to not positive for Roy Lee. However, I I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up together again. Yeah, I feel like it's more Keely needs better closure with Jack and maybe that'll be next week because they, yeah, they have mentioned Jack a couple of times uh, previously throughout this episode or not this yeah. episode, but uh, last episode and the episode prior. Um, so it feels like they are doing kind of what you predicted where Jack's going to show up and they're going to be together in some fashion, whether it be romantically or just like in, in an embrace, like they're going to hug something out or they, they're finally like, okay, Jack is officially gone, whatever. And then Jack yeah. shows up and is like, ah, fuck. <laughs> Roy Lee aside, Jamie's strange incestuous relationship with his mum aside. Um, I guess it's quite a natural point to move into, to talk to about the match, because we need to talk about that before what happens after the match. Yes. And um, I will say that with the way this show goes, um, just before we really dive into a little bit more deeply, um, I had no idea which way the show was going to go with the match, because I know the whole point of this season is building towards winning the whole damn thing. But it, it's it's Ted Lasso. Sometimes things don't go the way that this, the fairy tale stories go. So well, things- they have a things don't tend to like the end of the first series where they got relegated was like, Whoa, hold, hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, uh, yeah, they get a, they get an early lead and then you think like, Oh, maybe, maybe something's going to happen. They're going to tie because somehow they're on a 15 game winning streak. Even though every time we see Van Dam, sorry, if you heard the cat, That's okay. um, <laughs> it's the dog last week, the cat's getting involved this week. Yeah. <laughs> Levi's the talker of all the cats. He's, <laughs> um, Every time I they like they have a they show a game in a in an episode, um, it seems like whenever they show Van Dam, something bad happens. So mm-hmm. he, if they show Van Dam, I'm like, oh god, they're scoring. It's almost like when I'm watching uh, baseball or football and uh, a player that I know who is bad, like for the White Sox right now, since it's baseball season, when the White Sox put in Ronaldo Lopez to pitch. I know it's either going to be a strikeout inning where he's not going to do, he's not going to give up a hit, a home run, anything, mm. or he's going to stay in too long and he's going to just have three bad pitches in a row and give up like three straight home runs. <laughs> yeah. Well, but there's a thing with, so just re- let's rewind a little bit on the team. Like we said, Van Damme is wearing this, this protective mask. So much was made of this protective mask throughout the episode. I feel like, and, and what Josh is saying about, Van Damme being shown is because he is shown a lot and he seems to be turned into Superman um, this episode and he's saving shots left, right and centre. But the commentators and the players keep going back to how ugly his mask is. Is the insinuation here that his mask is giving him super goalkeeper powers? 
what what was that about it, i mean it has to be that the the mask is some kind of like uh lucky charm i don't know um it was really weird it did not land no, I, I didn't care for it either, because among other things, uh, Richard Hamilton was a famous NBA player that played probably half of his career with face protector. Mm. He broke his nose one day and uh, came back a couple weeks later with the face protector and he just never stopped wearing it. And like it, it seemed normal and fine to me, but yeah. they decided to make a big deal out of it in this episode. And I, I thought it was really weird. Like, oh yeah, safety precautions. How dare he? <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, it is a thing that people play as well when they, um, when they're injured and they can carry on. So there was a, a goalkeeper for Chelsea and then later Arsenal called Pepper check um, injured himself. I think he collided with the post and got a really serious head injury. And ever since then, he wore like, it looks a bit like a helmet, but it's a padded helmet. It looks a bit like an old rugby style helmet. Okay. Um, and it became like a bit of a signature look of his. Um, and it was weird to see Petacek without his, his protective helmet on. But no one yeah, ever bats and... an eyelid and says, oh, that helmet is what gave him his ability to be a really good goalkeeper. <laughs> I, don't, I just, I didn't get where that came from. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, and it, there's uh, an insinuation that the broken nose maybe was worse than it was because he Van Damme said that if he doesn't wear it, he could die. I, I, it's a bit of a strange one for a bit of a throwaway gag, like we said last week, that that to come back and then make such a big deal of it and make such a big deal of it. They're on a 15 game winning run. He's not going to be a bad goalkeeper. Why all of a sudden? Are we deciding that it's his mask that's giving him superpowers? I, I might be being quite finicky here, but it bothered me for quite a lot of this episode. Yeah, I, I think it was just meant to be a joke that never quite landed, at least not for you or me. Yeah, but you know when someone tells a joke and it, you don't laugh the first time and then they tell it again and you don't laugh the second time and then if they tell it again the third time, they expect you to laugh. That was kind of how that felt, but regardless. Um as Josh said in the match, we get an early goal from Colin uh, an assist from Jamie. Uh, and then Jamie's playing really well and he's dribbling through loads of players and he gets a particularly hard tackle on him. Um, and he's not getting anything. So, so the commentators are saying, well, Jamie can expect to be kicked about quite a lot today. And this happens in football when you get a returning player. The fans are on his back. The ex-players are on his back. And it just so happens that he's not getting the rub of the green with the referee um and it ends up with man city trying to score a goal and jamie doing the most acrobatic goal line clearance you've ever seen um and injuring himself in the process yeah and wasn't there like eight minutes left in the match at that point too yeah there was um it was so little that that um Jamie decides he's going to try and carry on uh, and then decides it's not worth it and lies down on the pitch and um, gets treatment on the side of the pitch and Beard and Roy are like, let's sub him off. He's not fit to play. Um, let's make sure that we, we can finish the game with 11 men. But Ted keeps delaying it and delaying it and delaying it because he wants to know if Jamie feels that he can carry on. And we get a really lovely moment between Jamie and, uh, and Ted. I was going to call him Teddy, I don't know what what came over <laughs> me then. Um, maybe I'm too affectionate with Jason Sudeikis. Um, <laughs> Jamie and Teddy have this lovely moment, Josh. That I was wondering if you could walk us through a little bit. Uh, so, uh, Ted is having this moment of genius where he's. So, before I get into this, actually. Um, even though I'm now 100% a footy football yeah. fan, whatever uh, I'm football mad now, as we've discussed off air. Um, if you get subbed out in a soccer football match, um, does that mean you're done for the game? Yeah, You can't go back. Okay. So that was the context I was missing. So, so you get um, in a game, you get five substitutions. You're allowed nine players on the bench, five substitutions. Um, this is five substitutions. As of this year, it used to be three but you have to make those five substitutions within three stoppages. So if you do one sub, stop the game, one sub, stop the game, one sub, stop the game, you can't make the extra two. You would have to do like 
two two one or three one one or five all in one if you want to. But once they're off, they're not back on. They're gone. Okay. So because of this, Ted is not wanting to take Jamie out of the match yet. He wants to see if Jamie can go. Uh, which we get a great line from Roy where he says, I play it all the time. Then Beard from the background says, you can't walk upstairs. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, so uh, th- they're basically just giving Jamie treatment on the sideline until they can determine whether or not he can go back into the match. And uh, Ted goes and checks on him after they've played a few minutes without him. And uh, Jamie keeps looking back at the crowd and Ted clocks it. And asks, like, who are you looking for? What's going on? He's like, I can't find my dad. And, like, he, the, the tone of his voice is really that of, like, concern. Like, mm. he is now worried that something may have happened to his dad uh, because he's, he doesn't hear him heckling him. And uh, that leads to Ted going down this rabbit hole of why don't you forgive him eventually? And Jamie's like, why would the hell would I forgive him? And he's like, you don't you don't forgive people for them. You forgive them for yourself, uh, because when you let go of that, then it's on them to make things better. And that kind of hits Jamie in a spot. They finish a little bit of treatment and uh, Ted says, oh, pep talk, do something for you. He's like, well, I think it's more of the adrenaline and the painkillers. But, yeah, it helped. <laughs> but before before we move on to that bit, he says, if you could see your dad now, what would you say to him? Oh yeah, yeah, says, yeah, he says "fuck you," um, and Ted is not surprised by that at all. And then he says, "But also, I would say thank you." Um, and he he doesn't elaborate on it. He doesn't need to elaborate on it. It's it's um, for making him who he is today, even though he did it in an awful way. Um, and that that comes into play a little bit later, and we'll talk about that. But. Um, Adrenaline and painkillers have kicked in and Jamie is good to go. He is on the pitch. He's obviously still a little bit hurt, but he's there and he's winding up the Man City fans and he's um, his motivation switches from being anti his dad to being the best player on the pitch to the point where he's happy to wind up every single of his opposition fans that he used to play for. Um, but I really like that they and they didn't need to. Richmond could have had a slender one 0 lead, but they ended up with Jamie Tart scoring a really excellent solo goal, and then immediately getting substituted off. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing about this was he got a standing ovation from the Manchester City fans, which very, very, very rarely happens. I can only think of one instance I've ever seen where opposition fans applaud off an uh, opposition player, and that is one of Lionel Messi against Real Betis because he just played the game of his life and it's like the best thing that the opposition fans have ever seen that they had to appreciate it. So it's a very rare thing um, for that to happen. Mm -hmm. One of the things in that moment too, where Jamie scores the goal is we never see the the ball. Like uh, once they come up before he shoots the shot, Mm. um, we just see Jamie's face. He's doing the motions and everything, but uh, the shot never moves from Jamie. We hear the ball get kicked. You hear the boom. You hear the net swish. You hear the roar of the crowd. Mm. But we never see the ball go in. We just it's all uh, announcing and Phil Dunster's acting, mm-hmm. and it's 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 just great stuff. It, it's because seeing the shot go in is not important. It's seeing Jamie realize his potential and uh, going through with it is just really, really great visual storytelling. Um, and then, so after, basically, as soon as he's subbed off and had his standing ovation, the game ends, and it means that Richmond are down to the last game of the season with a chance to win the title. They're just one point behind Manchester City um, with a game each to play. And then we get my least favourite moment of all of the series in this one one section, and I would even go as far as to say I hated this more than I hated the psychic thing right at the start of the season. Wow. Or how about the beard on the on a scale of beard episode? I would rather watch the beard episode than see this happen again. Um, wow. So we've never had a Premier League manager. We've had referees, we've had uh, ex players, we've had pundits in Ted Lasso, but we've never had a current Premier League manager in the show. 
until now, and it had to be Pep Guardiola, who most people would regard as the best coach in the world. I think he is uh, someone who can buy his way to success. He's obviously tactically very clever, but I don't think he's any more clever than than some other managers. I'm sure Dan from Casting News and the boys at Just Football might disagree with me or, or have something to say about that, but I just feel like if you can spend a billion pound and I think six years on your squad, then if you're not winning everything, then what what the hell are you doing, really? Um, but he comes in and he says the line that Ted says to Trent Krim in the very first season, he says, uh, it's not about winning and losing, it's about improve, making these players the best they, people they can be on and off the field. And then Beard and Ted have a fangirl moment where they squee <laughs> over Pep Guardiola. And I just, I just hate him. And I just think he's such a bellend. Um, he's such a the way I've heard him described, and it is perfect, is he's a football pervert. He's like a mm. pervert for football. Um, I just don't like him, Josh. That's my biases. <laughs> don't let them influence how you feel about him. Just think he's a massive, big, bold fraud. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, we move. So this kind of wraps the team's, team's story up with the win. They are all celebrating to go out, and Isaac says, Got one game left. Make sure for every alcoholic drink you have a glass of water as well. Um, and that's to avoid hangovers so they can keep training and win the whole fucking thing. Uh, but Jamie says he's got to sort out his ankle. You enjoy your waters and everyone has a ha ha ha, Jamie, you're so good. Um, Jamie goes out to the treatment room and he expects to be by himself and he, he, he sends a text to his dad that just says, Hi, I hope you're okay. And at the end of the match, we see the two guys that Jamie's dad brought to the Wembley final in the second series um, drinking out of hip flash saying he would have loved to be here or, or he would have loved to have seen this. And I think that... Um, that was I'm, I'm glad they cut away really quickly on that to reveal yeah. everything because... In that moment, it's like, oh shit, his dad's dead. And yeah. then the next, the next shot we see, his dad is in rehab. I'm assuming it was definitely rehab because um, the poster on the wall said something like, "Protect yourself and recover yourself." It wasn't, okay. it wasn't prison, which I felt, thought on my first viewing. Um, it was the second viewing that I noticed the things on the wall. He was definitely in rehab, and he's had a haircut. He's shaved. He actually looks pretty good for himself, if not a little bit frail. But he just applauds his son, and it was a really lovely moment. Yeah, I, I I really appreciated them immediately cutting and saying like, "Oh, he's not there because he is make getting himself better." Yeah, yeah, that was really good. But he sends his dad a text that says, "Hi, it's been a while. Are you okay?" And we never see a response. I don't I don't know if we will see a response. Uh, but Roy Lee come in as two separate entities and celebrate uh, with Jamie and a. Uh, couple of bottles of champagne which was quite nice but um honestly i can't remember if there was anything much said within that bit i think it just was no i I don't think there was yeah it's just them like laughing and having fun and being a a little found family together Mm. yeah it was good um yeah so how quickly do you think i can break down nate's story very quickly i believe in you like <laughs> i'll let you lead this because i tend to waffle so um the floor's yours josh so nate's storyline kicks off with colin isaac and uh was it danny rojas no uh i think wasn't um, it will oh it was will yeah because that makes more sense colin isaac they're the ones that picked on uh on nate and then will is the one who got picked on by nate so that yeah. that's what makes the most sense for them to be there uh they ask where Nate is and uh Nate's girlfriend Jade uh shows up, which I need to I need to not say that because she is a person. She's not just Nate's girlfriend. Um, yeah, but for the clarification of where she is within this whole story, at this moment in time, she is Nate's girlfriend Jade. Yes. And uh she is they they came into Taste of Athens to find Nate because they they heard a rumor that he's working there. And uh Jade says, Who? And then Nate pops up from behind out of nowhere. He's like, hey, look what I found. And like, oh, it's these guys. Um, 
what are you guys doing here? And they, they say that they want him back at Richmond. They took a team vote and everyone is ready and willing to bring him back. Mm. And Nate's really taken aback by it. And he's really appreciative. And he says, Oh, Ted even approved. And he's like, well, we haven't said anything to Ted yet. And uh, we just wanted to make, we just wanted to know if you were wanted to come back first before we brought it to Ted. And that's when Nate kind of recoils and he's like, Oh, well, if Ted doesn't know yet, I don't want to blindside him and I'm not emotionally ready for this yet. So um, he, he says, thanks, but no, thanks. I'm, I'm happy here. I'm, I'm working with my girlfriend and he points over to the counter, which I love this bit where every time he's like, Oh, my girlfriend works here. And then Jade's just vanished. She's gone. Like Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, just gone but maybe that is um a bit of a a nod to what you were saying she's not nate, jade nate's girlfriend because every time he points to his girlfriend there's no one there i don't mm. know maybe i'm reading too much into it but from now on we'll call her jade yes do our best um <clears throat> excuse me so jade and nate have a, a heart-to-heart when they're done with work and she's like you're, you're a coach you need to be a coach she's like oh but i like working with you and the season's almost done anyway i, I promise i'll start looking for work once the the season's over mm-hmm. so jade's like okay fine and then they go back to work and nate's just i can't tell if he's annoying her or if she's just like this isn't what he's meant to do uh it's kind of a weird mixture of both maybe i think where she with- with the character that Jade is, it's very hard to tell whether she is annoyed or not. Um, I I got the feeling that this was irritating her, that he was always around. Um, but like you said, it could just be out of um, concern for Nate being who he really is rather than um, a waiter. Squandering his potential kind of thing yeah. uh, in a different way than his dad treated him. Um, but it gets to a point where she goes to the, the manager of the restaurant who apparently has a drug addiction. Um, they, they make that very what? clear in this episode. What gave that away? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the Coke tray. Yeah. The massive but... Coke tray and the fact that he was rubbing his nose every two seconds. <laughs> uh, but he reveals that Jade has threatened to acknowledge the authorities to his dealings. And, uh, if he doesn't fire Nate, so Nate gets let go and he decides he's going to write a paper to Ted to apologize and try to get, get his way back in. Um, Ted becomes aware of this and uh, he, he asks coach beard what he thinks if they brought Nate back and beard is very against it. He's like, if you bring that Judas back, I will burn this place to the ground. Yeah. And Roy, but the thing is Roy was like, bring him back. He's really good at the things that I'm not good at. Um, Which, if we have time to get into speculation, I, I that that leads into my prediction for how this thing's going to end. Okay, joint managers—is that all I'm saying? I, I think either joint managers or Roy gets the managerial title, and Nate is his right hand man. So Fair there, enough. there's my prediction. <laughs> there you go. We did speed running this, Josh. Yeah. So Nate, uh, as he's writing this letter to Ted, it ends up being sixty pages, and then Coach Beard at the end of everything, after he gets a heart to heart from Ted reveals that he and Ted were both uh, he he was a kicker. Ted was a punter. They never saw the field when they played in college. And once they graduated, Beard fell hard into drugs, went into prison. Ted got him out. The night Ted got him out, he stole Ted's car. Ted said, no, I let him borrow it. Mm-hmm. He's bringing it back. He saved his life twice, essentially. Yeah. And Beard, that's why Beard has this undying loyalty to Ted. And yeah. he goes up to Nate and says, you you burned the guy that gave me my second chance. Don't do it again. And yeah, then he tells him he forgives him. The the best thing in this in this interaction is the way that Ted breaks it to Beard. And I know that we're kind of dipping a little bit to Ted, but it's important to this story. Yeah, it's um, it's more important to Nate's story. So so Ted uh, tries to show Beard the video that um, Beard and Roy showed the team when they played West Ham of um, Nate's see end of season two meltdown where he tears up the believe sign and leaves it on the desk. And it turns out that while the team was celebrating, Nate had to hide under the table for three hours. And then when he thought they were done, the cleaning crew came in and he was under there for another two hours. And then when he thought he could get out, the door was locked and he had to fall out the window, essentially. Um, and Ted says to Beard, um, 
I hope that all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moment, but rather the strength we show if, uh, when and if we are ever given a second chance. And that's what makes beer go, fuck. <laughs> um, and, and show this, um, this second chance and this affection towards, no, affection is the wrong word, but um, this acceptance that, that Nate belongs back at Richmond, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and that's kind of Nate's story. So next week, Nate's back for the final game of the season, and we'll see what kind of effect that has because, uh, as we'll get into here in a minute, this episode leaves off on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, do we think that... Who do we think the, the final game of the season's against? Are we, are we assuming it's West Ham? Um, that's a great question. I don't know. I would assume West Ham just from a narrative standpoint, but it would have to be West Ham because Nate's going to have to face Rupert one more time to really kind of full circle his redemption arc. Yeah. So yeah, I, it would make sense for it to be West Ham, but um, you're asking the wrong guy because I don't know who else is in the league. Well, fair enough. Um, So uh, let's talk about Ted and his mom. Now there is a lot to unpack here. The episode opens with Ted leaving his apartment to go to training, his flat or his apartment, if you want to get technical about it. And he's saying hello and he's greeting everyone that he's very familiar with there and it's very routine until he sees this lady on the bench. Um, and he turns and he's like, what, mom? Um, and in very Ted Lasso, Kansas-y kind of, boy howdy kind of way, she's like, oh, Teddy, I'm here. I want to see you. La, la, la. But Ted obviously doesn't want her there, um, which is the first thing, which is a bit like, oh, something's wrong here. Um, and yeah, it turns out that she... Sorry, go very ahead. Suspic- I was going to say, he's very suspicious of her being there, and she's never really forthcoming with what her reasons are for being out of state, let alone out of country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she she basically says... She makes something up and says, I thought I'd treat myself to a Mother's Day present of coming to see you. And Ted says, how long have you been here? It's like, oh, only a week. I stayed in a lovely hostel with all these Australian people who they just love having sex. And she's like, oh, not with me, um, <laughs> which was, was funny. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's good to be in your flat and staying with you because of all the sex. Oh, you know, the Australians, <laughs> not me. Um, but. Ted and his mom have this really like fractious relationship that that his mom seems oblivious to, but Ted doesn't want to admit is is happening. She seems to like hit it off with absolutely everyone, but the way she's doing it is telling like really made up stories about Ted or or um, stories that all of the details are inflated to the nth degree. They're like, oh Ted, I didn't know you were. A- nearly the drummer in Coldplay and he just like yeah whatever <laughs> and she says that um he stole her car when he was 12 and pulled over by the police because he was driving on the wrong side of the road and actually it turns out what happened is someone he was with was throwing gang signs at um the cops which was which was fucking wild for Ted Lasso um yeah and he was also 15 so but, it's not like it was terrible for him to be driving at that time Ah, see here, minimum age is uh, 17, I think. So that would be legal. I don't know what it is over there. Uh, I believe for most, if not all states, it's 15, you get your learner's permit, 16, you start driving uh, on your own if you pass your driver's test. It blows my mind that you're allowed to own and drive a a vehicle. And and the size of your cars are two, maybe three times the size (laughs) of ours. But you're not allowed to have a drink for another five years. Yep. Um, I just think that's that's absolutely crazy. Legally, we'll say. Sorry, legally. I should say <laughs> legally. I mean, you could do any of these things illegally. Not that talking smack endorses it, unless Josh says otherwise. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with no. I think I've got from... young kids. I'm going to say no. <laughs> but um, Ted basically says to his mom, "You're staying here. You're not going back to that hostel where all the Australians have sex. Not you." Um, and they have an argument about who's going to sleep in the bedroom. Ted eventually wins and says, if you sleep on the sofa, I'll sleep on the uh, floor next to you and neither of us will be comfortable. So I think they're kind of trying to 
out hospitality each other. Um, and Ted just he keeps saying like, "Why are you here? Why are you here? What? Why are you in England?" And and his mom keeps deflecting, and he says, "Do you want to come to the Manchester City game?" And he says, um, "What was the line? It's like going to Rome and not visiting a church, not visiting a football match whilst doing." Yeah. Um, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but she says, no, I get too nervous when, when you play. And then she hands him a bag full of newspaper clippings about his coaching career here from, from back home. And you think at first, oh, that was quite sweet. That's a nice thing to do. But then it turns out that they're all headlines about his panic attacks. Um, and it doesn't invoke a proud memory for, or, or a happy memory for Ted. And she says, are you still having them? He's like, no, I've got a, a therapist. And then she she immediately turns it back to the jokes and says, oh, well, I guess it's all my fault then. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Ted is yearning this whole episode for a a, a real heart-to-heart with his mum, but she's not forthcoming. Yeah, she's not willing to have a, a conversation that might evoke some tears. Um, and he doesn't know how to, how to yeah. break that ice without putting her on the defense. Which he is unwilling to do. Yeah. He doesn't want to seem like he's attacking her. And he also, I I think there's, it's conveyed pretty well that he, he knows that if this comes out, it's not, it's not going to just stop at one thing. It's going to go forever. And he has to find a way to do it. No, a more tactful way than what he is currently wanting to do. Yeah, spoiler alert, he does not succeed. Um, so Ted's mom agrees, basically, that she's going to stay home, and when he gets back from the Manchester City game, they'll celebrate or they'll have a home-cooked meal together. The only other mention of his mom that we get during the match is the night before where she's texting him and he says, are you okay? And she says, I wish that... I'd, I kind of wish I'd come to the game. And I think Ted feels a, oh. an element of guilt there. Did I drop out? Yeah, just for a split second. But as long as okay. it recorded, we're good. Um, that that line and that text exchange, uh, that one hit home for me because that is very much my own mother. Right. Um, she'll tell me no, 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 no. If I invite her to something, and then like two minutes before I walk out the door, she'll be like, "Oh, I wish I would have said yes." Well, that's hard. Mm. You just don't want me having a good time. <laughs> but um yeah, I think Ted Ted feels guilt and he puts his head in his hands at that point. Um and then we don't we don't hear about his mom again until he gets home and it turns out that she's cooked two dinners because she didn't know what he wanted. It was either lasagna or what was the other one? Was it meatloaf? Meatloaf. Yeah. So he could choose whichever one he wanted. Um and this is where we kind of get to a boiling point here. For, for Ted um, I can't remember exactly what it was that set him off maybe you remember a little bit better than I um, I think it I really think it's just he he appreciates it but he realizes that this is his last opportunity to get this out and so he yeah. says thank you for cooking the two dinners but fuck you yeah and that just rolls this whole thing out and it, it's fantastic in a very Ted Lasso way because you don't expect Ted to be dropping f bombs, mm. and because even earlier in the episode where uh, Jamie gets hurt, I think everyone goes fuck, and then you hear Ted go fudge. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, he he does three or four rounds of thank you for this, but fuck you for this, um, and then he says like, why are you here? Like, why have you come here? And then um, his mom drops the bombshell that he, she's there because Henry misses. Ted, his son misses him, and I think it's like a, a very thinly veiled attempt at saying, "Come, come home. We need you back in Kansas for your son." Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of accept it. And Ted says, "Sit down. I'm going to serve you for a change." And they have a meal together. And then he wakes up the next day on on the sofa, and his mom's left him a little card that basically says, "Thank you." Blah blah blah. So there, there's no bad blood between them. Um, but it, it was just that that kind of confrontation needed to happen before, yeah, before they can move on from from 
what has been some really traumatic shit going on with him, mm. his mom and his dad, and dad's suicide. Yeah, and his, his mom acknowledges that uh, the therapist must be working really well if uh, he was able to come out and talk to her the way he she, <laughs> that he did. Yeah, I thought that was a really don't good bring line. her into this. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really really good line. But we then finish out with um, Rebecca in Ted's office. And yeah, so so before we we get into this, okay. I find it really interesting that last week's episode, episode ten, basically played out the same but in reverse for um, season one's finale, and now this week's episode again flipped where they're in opposite positions kind of plays out the same as season two's finale. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question on this, but I'll ask it you in a second. Um, basically Rebecca's in Ted's office and she says, well, it's that time of year where I drop a truth bomb on you and we have some major reveal and they're very like almost breaking the fourth wall for it's that time where everything explodes just before the end of the season. And then we mm-hmm. have time to fix it. Um, and I know in season one, the bombshell was, I have been lying to you and sabotaging you every minute. I can't for the life of me remember what Rebecca's bombshell is at the end of season two. Um, she didn't reveal to Ted that she'd been dating Sam, right? Nope. That was to, um, um... to Sassy, Keely and her mom and Sassy's daughter. Yeah. Uh, where? What was the bombshell that's had in season two? <laughs> I even looked I, it up before this, and I couldn't find anything. I mean, I could have watched hmm. the episode, but I didn't have enough prep time for that. So, yeah, no, the, Nick, get on it. <laughs> yeah, Nick, <laughs> let us know. Our honorary <laughs> third host of Talking Masso. Um, I will. I'll do some watching before next week, and I'll I'll come up with a definitive answer of what the bombshell was because I'm sure there was something, but. Rebecca says, it's that time where I drop a bombshell was on it, you back. Was it that Rupert bought West Ham? Don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't so. know if that, that would be a bombshell. Like a bombshell. Anyway, um, we'll find out. Maybe it was that. But she says, the bombshell is I don't have anything to drop a bombshell on you. And then Ted says, oh, that's good. That's, I guess that's a bombshell in itself. No news. Actually, I have a bombshell to drop on you. And then the episode cut. Um, the the insinuation being that Ted's going to say, after the next game, I'm I'm done. I'm out of here. I need to go back to Henry. Um, yep. Yeah. And <laughs> so you had a question for me before we get into anything else. I'll let you ask the question. Oh, it was what was the bombshell? Oh, gotcha. But, so uh, yeah, this this played out so well because. This last week, you and I, or especially me, uh, last week we were talking about how we don't think Ted Becca, Ted Becca is a thing, uh, red, whatever you want to call them. Um, mm-hmm. And I put out a, a tweet where I was like, I'm I'm jinxing this, but let's see what happens. And so I put out, because I saw there's a shot of Ted and Rebecca sitting near each other while they're watching uh, the movie for the team night. And mm-hmm. the Tebeka crowd was like, oh, it's going to happen. Look at how close they're sitting to each other. They're right next to each other. Clearly, the body language is there, even though they're just looking forward, watching a film. And I'm like, this isn't happening. Narratively, this makes no sense. This makes as much sense as Jackie and Fez at the end of that 70s show. There's no narrative reason for it. It's just something that the fans wanted. And that's the that 70s show creators were like, well, we're not coming back. So let's just have it happen. And we, we had a few people actually come back and say, yeah, it makes no sense. And then there was a couple other people that were like, oh, look at these idiots not seeing the things that we see. And uh, <laughs> so as the scene was playing out, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is this is where it happens, isn't it? it there's like this tension where Rebecca's just like, I have something to tell you. Or I have, there's, there's a bombshell that usually gets dropped in this moment. And I'm just like, she's just going to say, I love you, isn't she? It's just going to come out of nowhere and she's going to say, I love you. And it's going to screw everything up because I jinxed it earlier today. And thankfully that didn't happen. <laughs> Listener, you can't see how joyful that Josh is that these <laughs> Ted Becker stands who called him an idiot were so wrong. Um, 
and Josh, Josh, it got to the point where Josh sent me screenshots of one of them and said, well, I'm keeping receipts on this. I'm one. keeping receipts. You better believe it. <laughs> I'm not vindictive enough that I'm going to like call them out for their bullshit, but I am vindictive enough that I'm going to keep receipts. And if they ever call me out on something else, I'm going to be like, well, you said this. Yeah. Fuck you, miscellaneous Twitter user. Um, <laughs> but there was a scene in this that we didn't talk about that I thought was really lovely. And, and actually, I wanted to to mention. They're at the pub, Ted, his mum and Beard, and um, Ted's talking to May about his mum and parents. Um, and May, the bartender, um, just reads the whole of a poem called This Be the Verse by Philip Larkin. Um, and Josh, if you don't mind me just running through it, it's not a very long one, um, but I, I think that it's, um, I just think it was it was quite apt in the moment and really well done by the the actors there oh yeah have at it so they said uh, they fuck you up your mum and dad they may not mean to but they do they fill you with the faults they had and so add some extra just for you but they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old hat style old style hats and coats uh, who half the time were soppy stern and half at each other's throats Man hands on misery to man, and it deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out early as you can, and don't have kids yourself. And then she just smiles and walks away, and Ted like looks over and he's like, oh, well, joy. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was really good. But So, good time to ask you, Josh. Scores out of 10, what did you think of the episode? With the ending, I think it kind of hurt it, um, mm. but I do think that everything else really plays into the full narrative of the show. So I'm going to say probably a 7.5. Just because I think the, the ending really. Sorry, you cut out for quite a lot of that. Oh, um, all right. Just, that. just, just give me the score. I think I got that. I got the gist of it, but just, okay. just the score. Um, 7.5, just because I think that cliffhanger leaving it for the next week. I hate when they do that. Uh, so I just it it okay. pulls me back. I'd probably give it an eight if it weren't for that ending, but seven point five. I would have given it an eight if it wasn't Pep Guardiola in there. So I'm going to agree with you and use my uh, use my disdain of the big Spanish bold fraud um, to to knock it down a peg. So yeah, seven point five. I'm happy to agree with you, Josh. All right. Well, um, let's. So I do that. have a, a a fun story for you. Um, All right, let's get into it. Spurs fans, you might want to just skip right to the end here because it's sorry, Dan. quite painful for you. But Josh, um, I want you to cast your... Sorry, Dan. I mean, I was trying to say that without saying that, but sorry, Dan. Um, just skip this one. Uh, Josh, cast your mind back to uh, 2006 where the sun was shining and everything was good and no one thought Donald Trump would be in prison. Um, <laughs> the Simpsons. At the end of the season, we have. Well, yeah, sorry, the Simpsons did, but no one else. Um, and we have uh, the end of the football season, and one game to go. Tottenham are ahead of Arsenal for the Champions League place. They are they are on course to get, uh, on course to get fourth place, and for the first time since the sixties, play in European competition. Sorry, the highest tier of the European competition. They have one game to go, and it's against West Ham. No um, correlation to Nate Shelley's West Ham intended. Um, they're staying at a hotel called the Marriott Hotel in London. Uh, West Ham and uh, Tottenham is still a fairly local derby, both are London teams, but it's not as fierce as Arsenal and uh, and Tottenham. So if Arsenal better Tottenham's results, so what this means is if Arsenal win and Tottenham draw or lose, Arsenal will get in the Champions League. Uh, if both teams draw, it'll be Tottenham that get in. But if uh, Arsenal lose, Tottenham will definitely get in. So the Tottenham team are staying in the Marriott Hotel. And then the day of the match comes and... Um, what happens is press conference is called and Martin Yole, who's their manager, says, I've got 10 of my first 11 out with food poisoning and they can't play. Um, 
some of the players have gone on to describe it as the most pain that they've ever had. Um, and it's all come down to the fact that the way that they've worked this out is, or the speculation was there was a lasagna served at that, um, that hotel the night before that's given them all food poisoning. One of the players says that he still can't eat lasagna to this day. Um, <laughs> but the only player who's a regular in the first 11 who makes the pitch, I believe, is Michael Carrick. Um, they go to West Ham and they lose 2-1. And the chairman of Spurs, still the chairman now, not a very popular man, Daniel Levy, is going mad. He calls the police. He calls the Premier League. He looked to get the game postponed so that they would play later. West Ham actually agreed to this, but it would have to be after their FA Cup final. And the Premier League said this is the final day of the season. It's always done at the same time uh, on the same day. So, no, not happening. He looked to sue everyone involved. And, uh, sorry, Daniel Levy looked to sue everyone involved. And, um, yeah, so, so there were police at the Marriott Hotel investigating the staff. They believe that the chef was an Arsenal fan and may have intentionally poisoned Tottenham. Uh, but what had actually happened is all of the squad had ended up catching norovirus and were just so ill that they couldn't play. Um, my favorite member of the squad, and I can't remember his name, I think it's something like <laughs> Johnny Jackson, something really generic like that. He never played for Spurs. He said he got a call. He wasn't included in the match squad. He got a call that morning and said, all of the players are injured. We need you to play. And he said, I went and played, but I was so hungover that <laughs> I don't even remember what was going on. Um, the added uh, kick in the stomach for Spurs fans was the, the scorer of the winning goal was Yossi Ayun, who had played for just about every other London club. So was very incentivized to to beat Spurs, but it turned out that Arsenal won and Spurs missed out on the Champions League. And to this day, people call that lasagna gate and it's very, very poorly recognised in some parts of London and very fondly remembered in others. <laughs> the way that story started, it reminded me of the, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the flu game uh, with Michael Jordan. Uh, I think you might game... have mentioned it. I think it was game five of the 1997 NBA finals mm. uh, where Michael Jordan played with flu like symptoms and Michael Jordan to this day says it was food poisoning. He had ordered pizza the night before he's having like a poker match in his uh, in his hotel room. And he was the only one that ate the pizza. And he figured he figures that somehow the delivery people knew who it was that ordered <laughs> the pizza and they, they were trying to get the jazz to win that game. So they, threw a little extra something on there. And uh, Jordan was the only one that actually ate the pizza. Well, so he's in... the only one that was exuding symptoms. May have been inspired by it. But yeah, Lasagna Gate is a, is a fun one to look into if you don't support Tottenham. All right. Well, Joey, we have passed the hour mark, so it is time to get going. Uh, you can follow us on talk on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. Uh, you can email us at tsmackpot at gmail.com, just like Nick did. And Nick, hopefully you reach out again and uh, let us know what that other bombshell was. And maybe you and Joey can come to the, to a consensus <laughs> on what that was. Uh, but thank you again, Nick, for your email. Hopefully. Uh, he also he signed it off as a fellow Packers fan. So um, go pack, go in that sense as well, Nick. Um, you can also follow <laughs> us on uh what what other instagram <laughs> we we're also on hive social we are on post news facebook we have a youtube channel the we, we have a discord uh joey where can people find you uh usually on talking smacks discord but you can also listen to my other podcast uh the game club pod where we have a number of shows um two blokes from blight is tim my brother and i shooting the shit every week between two pods is Slade, our other co-host solo project where he interviews other podcasts. And then the main show is the Game Club pod where we have a book club style fortnightly meeting about video games. Uh, it's good fun. Yeah, your most recent episode about uh, Spec Ops The Line was really interesting. Um, I appreciated the 45 minute preamble. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, you'll find out if you listen to Game Club Pod is. We started off doing whole hour episodes about games, and now we do 45-minute preambles, 20 <laughs> minutes in the game, and then 40-minute post-ambles. So, 
it's, it's good it's times. A, I mean, you guys had a, a good excuse. It was two years celebrating two years of the podcast. So congratulations on two years of that. Thanks very much. I mean, I, we don't have an excuse for the rest of them. I've got to tell you, Josh. <laughs> Amble pod. That's all we need. Amble pod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Josh, let's let's hear that inspirational quote from Ted. Be curious, not judgmental. Beautiful. Walt Whitman. Now scram. Whistle. Whistle. Scram. Whistle. 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 